Father, thank you for your word. God, tonight, I pray, God, that you would communicate what's on your heart to ours. God, I pray that we would see what you want us to see. God, that you would challenge us in the amazing ways that you want to challenge us. God, I thank you that this is not an accident, but God, tonight, your spirit has orchestrated a word that is to go forth that is to challenge us. And God, I pray that you would do that in Jesus' name. Amen. I could tell very quickly when I met your pastor and when I just listened to you worship that your heart is very much like mine and that we want to see God use us to impact the world. We want God to use our lives and our voices to proclaim the truth that is timeless that will transform people's lives. And I applaud you for that. And I commend you for that. That is absolutely godly. God has placed that desire in your heart. That is not arrogance. That is God's calling on your life. But let me say this one thing to you as well. Please hear me. That there is something that God wants to do in our lives before He uses our lives or in the process of building us and shaping us and and molding us and sculpting us to become those people that can radically change the world. There's something that God needs to be doing inside of us. And I think as Christians, sometimes we get it backwards. See, let me just say this to you real quickly. God builds you in private to use you in public. Did you hear me? God builds us in private when no one's watching. When it's just me and God, and God is sitting there pouring things over me, drawing things out of me, inspiring dreams inside of me. It is in those moments that God is building me to be used in public. But many Christians don't like the public, or they don't like the private building and the private sculpting. We just want to release it in, in the public arenas. And let me tell you, if that's your desire and you miss the private before the public, you will never be who God calls you to be and you'll never do what God's called you to do. And so I just want to address that a little bit tonight by, by looking at an Old Testament story. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to the book of Second Kings. I know here you would say two kings. But in the United States, I would say 2 Kings chapter 9. Now there's something that, when I was growing up in a Christian home, there was something I didn't understand. I, truthfully, I did not enjoy reading the Old Testament. I love the New Testament. I, I love Jesus and I love all these things. But the New Testament or the Old Testament really didn't speak to my heart as clearly. And it's because I didn't know quite how to read it. See, the Old Testament is written in story form. And to really get what's going on, you've got to watch it and read it with imagination. If you read it so quickly that you miss what's going on and you miss those pictures, then you might miss really the impact of what's going on. And based on that, I want to read for you one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. And I want to talk about it a little bit here. 2 Kings, 2 Kings 9 verse 1 says this, The prophet Elisha summoned a man from the company of the prophets and said to him, Tuck your cloak into your belt, take this flask of oil with you, and go to Remeth Gilead. When you get there, look for Jehu the son of Jehoshaphat the son of Nimshi. Go to him and get him away from his companions and take him into an inner room. Then take the flask of oil and pour the oil on his head and declare, This is what the Lord says. I anoint you king over Israel, then open the door and run. Don't delay. So the young man, the prophet, went to Ramoth Gilead. When he arrived, he found the army officers sitting together. I have a message for you, commander. He said, for which of us, asked Jehu, for you, commander, he replied. Jehu got up and he went into the house. 
Then the prophet poured the oil on Jehu's head and declared, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anoint you king over the Lord's people. You are to destroy the house of Ahab, your master, and I will avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the Lord's servants shed by Jezebel. The whole house of Ahab will perish. I will cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel, slaver free. I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah. And as for Jezebel, dogs will devour her on the, on the plot of ground at Jezreel, and no one will bury her. Then he opened the door and he ran away. When Jehu went out to his fellow officers, one of them said, Is everything all right? Why did this madman come to you? You know that man and the sort of things he says. Jehu replied, That's not true. They said, Tell us. Jehu said, Here's what he told me. This is what the Lord says. I anoint you king over Israel. They hurried and took their cloaks, and they spread them under him on the bare steps, and they blew their trumpets and shouted, Jehu is king. Here's what I want you to get. When I see this taking place, when my imagination wraps itself around this, what I see is a bunch of guys sitting around a campfire. And they're sitting there with their comrades, with their buddies, and as they sit there with their mates, what's going on in the middle of that is the more they talk, the more excited they get. Do you have friends like that? Man, you, you get around some of your Christian friends and you, you talk. And the more you talk, the more pumped you get about what God wants to do. Man, I can't wait to see God pour out a revival. I can't wait to see what God's going to do in my high school. I can't wait to see what God's going to do in my country. And I picture these guys sitting there saying, man, I can't wait to see what God's going to do. He needs to destroy compromise. He needs to deal with complacency in our nation. He needs to stir the church. We need to make a difference. But unfortunately, the more they talked, the more their inactivity proved that what was in their hearts was not coming out in their lives. See, I think that this is one of the great challenges in the church is we know that God wants to do those things. And we can talk about them like nobody's business. But unfortunately, we're not seeing... <laughs> Silly American... The more, we, the, the more we talk and the, when we don't do anything, it proves that we really don't believe or we're really not willing to act on what God has put inside of our heart. And I understand that God stirs your heart before you begin to act. But eventually, you've got to begin to take steps of faith. See, here's the story. They're sitting there and they're saying, man, wouldn't it be great if God would rise up and he would do something amazing? We want to see God do something in our generation. But then they sat back and they said, ah, wouldn't it be nice? But they didn't do anything. In the midst of one of these conversations, one of these many that they'd had, they looked and off in a distance, they saw something. There was a man running to him. And he looked, he looked weird because his shirt was tucked in his underwear. And he was carrying a big flask of oil. And he's chugging along, running as fast as he can. And they stand up and say, man, that guy just looks strange. What's the matter with him? But he gets into their company and he, he sets the flask of oil down and he begins to catch his breath. And he looks at him and he says, the Lord has a message for you. And Jehu said, for which of us? And the prophet said, for you, commander. And he says, okay, tell me what it is. See, here's the thing. As God was looking down at Jehu, as God was looking down at him, he said, I know what I put inside of him. I know when I created him, the passions and the giftings and the abilities and the influence that he has. I know what's inside of him, and he's not doing anything with it. I have to stir it up somehow. And I want you to know that God looks at you, and he knows what he's put inside of you. 
And please understand, I'm not just talking to the few of you that agree with me. The few of you that have great dreams. I'm telling you, even the one who's most insecure in this room who would sit there and say, I haven't got anything. God has put great things inside of you. And he can use them to benefit the kingdom of God. God was looking at Jamie. He says, I need to stir him up, so I'm going to send somebody crazy to him. And so all of a sudden, this guy says, I have a message for you. And James said, for which of us? He says, for you, commander. He says, okay, give me the message. And the prophet said, I can't. And he said, wait a second. You just said that you have a message from God for me. He says, I do have a message from God. But there's one little condition. I'm not supposed to tell you what that message is until I get you away from your companions. See, if you're willing to get away from your companions for a little bit of time, if you're willing to to escape from, from just the social aspects of your faith, I can tell you what God sees when he looks at you. I can convince you that God is ready to use you. And the Jehu sat here and said, wait a second. He said, I can stay here and I can hang out with my companions. I love that. I love the fellowship. I love the friendship. I love the corporate worship. I love this. But if I stay here, I miss out on some of the gentle whispers of what God wants to inspire inside of me. If I like the social aspects too much, if I'm not willing to get away from my companions, I'll never have a full picture of what God sees when he looks at me. So I'll go and I'll be alone. See, listen to me here. I can tell just by walking in, this is a great place to be. But if this is the only place that you ever think about God, you're missing out. You're going to get nuggets, but you're never going to get the ultimate thing that God wants to pour over you. See, because God wants to get you away. He wants to get you alone. Because when you're willing to say, you know what, my faith is not just about a gathering. It's not just about my friends. When you're willing to say it's not just about me and and these people. When you're willing to say that, God, it's about me and you. When you're willing to say, God, I'll let you connect with my heart vertically, one-on-one, it's in that moment that God lights up because he knows in that moment he can begin to inspire things in you. He can begin to pour things over you, draw things out of you, give new things to you. He can begin to do great things through you as you get alone. And Jehu said, okay, I'll go. See, it was in that moment that God's heart lit up. Yes, I've got him right where I want him. He's willing to say, I care about this more than I care about this. I need, I need somebody to help me out here. Uh, I, need, I need somebody to help me be a visual aid. Now, let me tell you what I'm looking for. First of all, it has to be a male. Has to be a guy, and it has to be somebody with a good sense of humor. No matter what I do to you, you cannot hit me. So no matter what I do, he doesn't look like he has a good sense of humor. He's looking at me like, "No way, dude! I'm not doing it." Okay, is there is there anybody that's willing, dude? You just got baptized. Come up here. Come up here. Come on. Okay, if you have anything electronic in your pockets, you might want to take them out and give them to a friend. You good? Okay. So here's the deal. I want you to stand right here. Oh, dude, I want you to stand right there. Okay. He's going to, what's your name again? Hi, James. James. James is going to represent Jehu. Okay. He's, he's going to represent the, the heart of Jehu and what, what happened. And Jehu said, okay, I'll get away. I'll go away. And in the moment he turned around and he started to walk into the inner room, the prophet grabbed the flask of oil. He followed him in. And the moment Jehu gets in the tent, the cork on that flask is popped. And Jehu turns around and he knows what's going to happen. You're going to anoint me the next king? And he had two thoughts in his head. Like, why me? I'm so not worthy. And boy, that's a whole lot of responsibility. 
I don't know if I want that. I'd rather just sit in the back. I'd rather let my leaders lead. I'd rather just, you know, kind of go through the motions. But he knew in that moment he was captivated. He stood there and he was not about to get up and leave. And in that moment, the prophet approached him and he began to pour the oil on his head. Now, here's the thing. Dude, dude, does it make you uncomfortable when I touch your head? You squirmed. Okay. Dude, stand there. Okay, don't move. Okay. James, be good. Now, here's the thing. I called a friend of mine who studied the Old Testament prophets. I haven't studied them as much as I would like. And so I called him. I said, tell me about it when they used to anoint a king. He said, two things are different than, than what we do in our society. First of all, I don't know what it's like here, but in my country, when you anoint somebody with oil, it's just a little bit of oil. Is that what you use here? Okay. He said, back in the day when they were anointing a king, it was usually a gallon to a gallon and a half. The second thing I learned was that our oil is very thin. Back then, it was very thick. It was kind of like molasses. And so Jehu stood there as the prophet poured a gallon to a gallon and a half of maple syrup type stuff all over him. Now understand, I, I do not have the ability to carry with me the oil that I should carry. So this is going to have to do. Is this okay if I do this, Pastor Roger? Okay. Step away from the stage just a little bit. Okay. Now look straight up. Don't, don't, be, don't be like hiding. Okay, here you go. Remember, you've already done this once today. This is just... He begins to pour the oil on his head. Now stand still. Stand still. Dude, what kind of product do you use in your hair? That is not doing nothing to it. Now understand, Jehu is standing there. They pour a gallon to a gallon and a half of, of, of this thick oil all over his head. It's dripping through his hair, in his beard, all the way down his clothes. The prophet turns to him and says, you're the next king. Kill Ahab and Jezebel. And he tucks his shirt in his underwear and runs away. He doesn't take time for questions. He just disappears. Bing, he's gone. He runs past the friends. They stand up and say, run past. And they think, man, there's something wrong with that guy. They say, he's a freak. Something's wrong with him. And they turn around to see that Jay has now moved into the, into the front of the tent. And he's standing there dripping with this oil. Now, it's not just a little bit of water. And it's not James who looks very nice and well kept. He is drenched. And they turn around and they point their finger and they say, what happened to you? You want to know what he said? The King James Version uses the word lie. Because he said nothing. Nothing happened. He's drenched. And they said nothing happened. What, what makes you think that something happened? And they turn around and they say, that's a lie. Do not lie to us. What happened inside of that tent? And he says, okay, I'm the next king. And it was in that moment that some amazing things began to transpire. What I want you to catch is, can you, can you picture just really quickly a visual with me before we go on and let James sit down. Can you picture James being an Old Testament looking gentleman? And he is dripping. I mean, just it's pouring off of him. And he's standing there, his hair is matted down. His beard is messed up. His clothes are trashed. Can you, can you get that picture in your mind for me? Okay, thank you, James. You can go sit down. Thanks. Give him a hand. Listen to me with the principle I want to make here. This, this is so revolutionary for me. This is a principle I had to learn a long time ago. And I could not articulate it the way I'm going to articulate it tonight. 
Because I just learned it by making mistakes, not by doing things right. But let me tell you what happens. God says what you do when you're alone will one day define you. So you need to understand something. That what you set your affections on when no one else is around will eventually end up defining who you are in public. Because you will step into the public eye one day. And people will look at you and they will, they will, they will, their jaws will drop. See, you have a choice to make with your private time. If you draw away with God, you sit there in his presence. And as you're sitting there, you let his word soak in your heart. You let worship come from inside of you. He begins to pour things out of you, draw things out of you. You step up and you go about your day. You go to school. You go wherever you go. You step up and people are going to look at you. Their jaws are going to drop one day. And they're going to say, what's different about you? And you're going to say, nothing. And they're going to say, no, that's not true. Because you are dripping with the oil of God. There's an anointing on your life. You love people more than you ever did. You care more about them than you do yourself. What's different about you? And you're going to say, you know what? I don't know what it is. I've just been spending time with God. And I think it's been making a difference. But here's the other side of that. If you choose not to let this work in your favor, you will draw away when no one else is around. And instead of investing that book into your life, instead of learning to worship and connect with God, instead of letting this work, you'll sit here and you'll sneak peeks at things on the internet that you shouldn't be peeking at. You'll do things in relationships that your motto becomes, nobody can know what we just did. You'll start doing things in secret that you want to hide. And you will step into the public eye one day and people's jaw will drop and they will look at you and say, what's different about you? You'll say, nothing. I'm the same person. They'll look at you and they'll shake their head and they'll say, no, you're not. Because you're dripping. But this time it's not the oil of God, it's the grease of the world. They're going to say, you used to love people, now you just manipulate them. They'll say, what's, what's different about you? You used to serve other people. Now you want everybody to serve you. See, you have a choice to make because what you do when you're alone will define who you are in public. And I want you to know if you want to make a difference, you better learn early and often that God builds you in private to use you in public. Does that make sense to you? See, this is a spiritual law that we need to understand and embrace. Christians for years, for decades, have been trying to get past the spiritual law, but you can't. The Bible says in Luke chapter 12, Luke chapter 12, verse 2 says this there is nothing, everybody say nothing. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you've said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you've whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the rooftops. There is nothing that is concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you've said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you've whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the rooftops. You want to know what this means? There are no secrets. Your private life will affect your public displays. And because of that, I've decided I don't want to fight against this. I don't want to try and beat the system. I don't want to come against this spiritual law and try and prove that I'm better than it and that I can overcome it. Man, I've just decided to surrender to this principle and say, God, I want to be like you. And so I'm going to spend time with you because I know as I spend time with you, you pour things over me, draw things out of me, inspire things inside of me. And when I step up, I'm dripping with you instead of that other stuff. 
See, I was not always good at figuring this out. I grew up in my, I, I kind of had this motto that I was trying to get away with everything. You've probably heard, heard the old uh, slogan that says, if a tree falls in the forest, and there's nobody there to hear it. Did, I, did it really make a sound? You ever heard that? I used to live my life like that. If I commit a sin and there's nobody there to witness it, did I really do anything wrong? See, my goal was not to be pure. My goal was not to be discovered. And I thought I could fool everybody. One particular instance came with my mom. See, I grew up and I was addicted to sugar. Anybody else? You can probably tell. Anybody else? Are you addicted to sugar? Do you like your sugar? No? Just me? Okay, James, I can tell. Man, I liked my sugar. And my mom, she always kept sugar in the house for me. I'm telling you, I liked my sugar. And one day in particular, I remember we were shopping at the market and we were going and my mom had the cart. She was pushing. She had the list, but I had the agenda. I wanted candy. And so I am going behind her. Another thing I know about my mom, though, is that if I make a suggestion, it's always a bad suggestion. She's got to come up with it or it will get shot down. So I knew if I recommended that she stop in the candy aisle, it was a bad idea. So all I did is I used, how selfish is this? I began to pray that God would allow my mom to head down. The, I mean, how shallow is that? I got a direct connection to the creator of the universe, and I'm praying for sugar. My mom is up and down the aisles, up and down the aisles. Pretty soon she turns down the candy aisle. I'm telling you, the hallelujah chorus I heard in the background. My mom never bought one of anything in her life. And when she stopped in front of those candy bars, I knew she was going to load up. And so sure enough, there she goes. There's 12. There's 15. She stopped at 18. I'm like, <laughs> we got in the car and I was thinking I was going to get a candy bar. She didn't give me one. I was thinking she was going to make me earn it. I was going to have to unload the groceries. I brought the groceries into the house. I didn't get a candy bar. Instead, she grabbed the bag that had the candy bars and she disappeared into her bedroom. She was going to hide them from me. In that moment, I question everything about life. God is not good. My mother does not love me. I was probably adopted. I mean, I, I'm questioning everything about my life. My mom does not love me. And that night, I went to bed a very bitter boy. I'm laying in bed, and I can hear those candy bars, and they want me to eat them. They are calling out to me, and I'm laying there. Oh, I was so angry. The next morning, I'd forgotten about it. It was Tuesday morning. I got up. I was late for school, so I did what every hyperactive boy should do before he goes to school. I grabbed a handful of sugary cereal, and I jammed it in my mouth as I ran out the door. I got to school, forgot about it. On Tuesday afternoon, I came home, and nobody was home. And the moment I walked through the door, I heard the candy bars calling my name. <laughs> I should have honored my parents' request. They have said many times, don't go in our room. It freaks us out. But I did not do that. Instead, I went into the bedroom, and I began to look for these candy bars. I looked in the first place under the bed. Nope. Second place, above the closet, nope. Third place, nope. Fourth place, that's where I found it. The one place, please don't judge me. The one place that she assumed no 14-year-old boy would ever go looking. There, underneath her underwear, in the third drawer down, I heard the rustle of the wrappers. You got something wrong if you're digging through your mom's undies. Something is wrong with you. I grabbed the candy bar. The moment I grabbed the candy bar, I heard my mom, and I knew I was running out of time. I ran into the, the bathroom, and I ate the candy bar very, very quickly. <laughs> but now I'm left holding the evidence. What am I going to do with this? And I, you know, a smarter person would have stuck in his pocket and disappeared with it. I wasn't that smart. I thought I could out-trick out my mom. So I got to the bottom of the trash can. 
And I hid it down there. Never thought I'd see it again. My mom bought the candy bars on Monday. On Tuesday, I ate it. And on Wednesday, I was humiliated. Wednesdays were my favorite day of the week. We had church that night, my youth group. Not only that, I love my church, but not only that, but my brother used to bring home two of the best-looking girls in our school. I, mean, I had big crushes on them. I mean, I'm telling you, these girls would blink with their big eyes, and I would just go, huh. Ah. I mean, that was, they, were, they were great. Dawn and Cindy, every Wednesday, they'd come home, and I was a little bit younger than them, so I would sit there, and I would try and be somewhat mature, and it never worked. <laughs> this day was the worst day of all, though. We came into the house, and my mom was waiting for us. She had snacks laid out. I said, Mom, you're great. And as I'm sitting down at the table eating my cookies, I looked up and taped to the refrigerator door was the Mars bars wrapper from the day before. I began to sweat because I know my mom. She is out to humiliate me because if she humiliates me, I'll never do it again. And I begin, oh, I'm just wondering what is going to go on. And before long, my mom goes and she gets the Mars bars wrapper. And she walks over to the table and she sets it right in front of me. My brother has no idea what's going on. He says, what's this? I'm saying, yeah, what's that? <laughs> and my mom looked at me and she said, are you sure you don't know what this is? And I'm like, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Does your mom have one of those looks? My mom had a look. If she looked at me long enough, I would, I would confess anything, even if I didn't do it. And my mom began to look at me and she said, Sean, do you know anything about this? And I'm sitting there trying to hold it together. I look over at Donna and Cindy, and they look so nice. And I look back at my mom, and she doesn't. And as she looked at me more and more and more, didn't say a word, I began to tremble. And out of nowhere, I burst into tears. Now, you got to understand something. When I cry, I don't cry pretty. I don't weep. I like, I suck the air out of the room. I can't talk. It is ugly. And so there I am in front of these two girls. I'm trying to impress them. <laughs> I stole the candy bar. I look over at them and now their big eyes aren't pretty. They're like scary. They're just like curled up. And my mom isn't done though. She said, Sean, where did you get this? I said, mom, can we do this later? She says, we will do it now. I said, can we go in the other room? She says, sit there. We will do it right here. And my mom began a line of questioning that was very uncomfortable to me. She said, where did you get this? I said, don't you remember? You bought them on Monday. Yes, but I hid them from you because I knew that you would steal them. Where did you get it? I said, did you forget where you hid it? <laughs> she said, no. I want to make sure you remember where you found it. I said, mom, please. And she said, answer the question. And I said, well, it was in your bedroom. She said, where in my bedroom? I said, it was in your dresser. She said, which drawer? I said, the third one. She said, what do I keep in the third drawer? I'm like, candy bars. <laughs> I mean, I'm stretching this thing out, hoping she's going to let me off the hook. And finally, I look at her and I said, it's your underwear. <laughs> I mean, I thought for the next three or four years, I was going to be known as the young perverted boy who digs through his mom's undies. I never thought I'd overcome that. I thought that what I did when I was alone would one day catch up to me in public. But you know what? I decided it doesn't make sense to even try and play the game. I, made, I, I decided that, that if this is where God's calling me, he says, get away from your companions so I can pour things over you, so I can inspire things inside of you. Man, I want to be inspired by the Spirit of God. I want God to speak to me. I want to know his voice. I want to be moved when I walk past somebody who's hurting. I want God to move my heart. 
And you don't do that over here. You don't do it when you're hiding and running from God and your private life is all about junk and filth. You do it when your private life is about connecting with the creator of the universe. Let me make a statement to you that is pretty all-inclusive and then we'll go on. The statement is simply this. If you want to be used by God, it is impossible to be everything he called you to be if you don't let him get you away from your companions. You cannot live your faith only with other people around. I'm not saying you abandon this. I'm saying embrace this. But I'm saying every day you carve out time and you get alone with God and you say, God, I need you to speak to me. God, I want you to inspire me. God, I want to know your heart. You must become greater and I must become less. God, I want to think like you think. God, I want to love like you love. See, in my nation, there are so many people, they just want to step into the public eye and they want to make a difference, but they don't like that. And let me tell you, if you want to do this well and if you want to do it long term, you might make a splash. You might have the charisma to stand in front of a group of people and preach the word even and do a good job with it. But long term, you will be exposed if you don't fall in love with this. Because it's here, right in this place, that the anointing of God begins to grow inside of you. And that God begins to inspire you. And when I was 14, I was called to ministry. And I didn't like that. I didn't, li- I didn't like that either. But this was easier than that. It was easier to get sucked into the world. It was easier to do the things where I could. It was, it was easier to do this. This made me hate myself. I didn't like the lying. I didn't like the stealing. I didn't like the way I was stinging. I didn't like what was going on. But I didn't know how to escape it. This was easier than this. But my determination was, God, I want to know your heart. And I'm so glad that I be, let him discipline me so that I could hopefully step in front of the public eye and say, I'm willing, God, to be used by you. And I don't just want to be a flash in the pan. I don't just want to make it for a year or two. I don't just want to impress the people. God, I want my high school friends to look at me 25 years after I've graduated and say, you know what, he's still running the race. And you will not be able to say that if you don't fall in love with this. God builds you in private to use you in public. But there's another principle here that I want to point out to you. I love this thought. I love the, the imagery of the dripping because it's undeniable. I love that. It spoke to me so much when I saw that. Because you're either dripping with the good stuff or you're dripping with the bad stuff. And I want to be dripping with the good stuff. And I want people to say what's different about you. And it's not an act, it's not a performance, it's not because you're an actor or an actress, it's because God is working inside of your heart. But even beyond this, there were some interesting things that Jehu was asked to do. He said, take care of it. He said, go take care of Ahab's family. See, Ahab and Jezebel, they represented compromise. They represented idolatry. They represented everything that was wrong. They represented in some ways complacency and and all of those things because God's people had been so complacent that, that the enemy had snuck in a champion for everything that was immoral, everything that was wrong. And God spoke to Jehu and said, I want your life to be about taking care of complacency and conviction. I want it to be about doing away with evil so that good can reign. And I want you to know that not, there's no one life that can do that. But when we all pull together, little pieces of light begin to show up in massive amounts of darkness. And God begins to get the glory where he was not seen before. 
And so Jehu, in that moment, as he's dripping, he just determines, okay, God has called me to go take care of this woman who represents complacency, who represents compromise, who represents idolatry, and I'm not going to play games with it. I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it quickly, and I'm going to do it right. So he gets a bunch of his buddies together, and he says, let's go. And I love this story. You can read it later in that chapter. He gets this group of people and they get on their horse and they start charging to go after Ahab's sons, the kings of Israel and Judah. And he's going to put them to death. And he's determined. And he's riding. See, I think the problem is is sometimes when God speaks to us about putting to death some things in our life, they're going to steal from us the things that God wants to do. I think we're very passive about it and I think it's time that we get aggressive. Do you agree with me? I just want you to know, when God speaks to to our hearts and he says, hey, he says, pornography is killing you. If you continue to play games with that, you're in trouble. I think it's time that we don't just say, well, I'll pray about that, but I'm going to do everything. I'm going to destroy that that root in my life. And sure enough, he begins to get on his horse and he begins to ride. And they look out from, from the town and they look down and they say, they say, who is that guy coming? Who is that guy that's coming this way? And they they turn to a soldier and they say, hey, ride out and ask him if he comes in peace. And so a soldier runs out and he meets this group and he yells out to him. He says, hey, the king wants to know if you come in peace. And Jehu looks at him and he says, what do you have to do with peace? Basically, he was saying, aren't you tired of being beat up? Aren't you tired of compromise? Aren't Aren't you tired of what they're selling? Wouldn't you rather be on this side? And here was this guy who said, you know what? I am tired of it. I've been playing for the wrong. I want to be on God's side. And he says, okay, then join us. So this group grew by one, and that group lost one. See, I think that when we look at it like this, see, sometimes we as Christians, we, when, we're, when we're a little convictionless, when we're a little passive, we think that, that they like where they are. I want you to know there are people in your line of fire who don't like the team that they're playing for. They don't like being bound and addicted. They don't like being joyless. They don't like playing those games. And if somebody would just stand up with the courage to say, I know where I'm going because God's spirit is inside of me. And if you will, inspired by the spirit of God, not beating them up with the Bible or your, or your religion or your theology, but you approach them and just say, aren't you tired of playing that game? They'll look at you and they'll say, you know what, I kind of am. They'll say, okay, come on over here. Let me tell you how. It happened again. They looked down and they said, wait a second. The soldier's not coming back. Send out another one. So another guy went out. And he said, do you come in peace? And Jehu said, what do you have to do with peace? Aren't you tired? Aren't you tired of complacency? Aren't you tired? Aren't you tired of all those things? Why don't you come over here? And so he did. The kings knew they were in trouble. So they mounted up and they began to ride out. And Jehu took them down. But then I love this part. Um, one of the things I love about the Old Testament, are you guys still with me? Okay, I've been, I've been told I'm a little too intense for, for Australians sometimes. I hope that's not the case. Um, you know, i, I got to be honest with you. I said this yesterday at a, at a conference that we were at, but people have actually, I've had Australians tell me, you're a little too intense for us. We're kind of a laid-back crowd. I'm sorry. I, I, before I came, I was praying, and I said, Lord, I hope I, I can do this and not offend them. And, and the Lord said, you know what, I wired you the way I wired you. And if they can't handle, well, actually, he didn't say that. I was putting words in God's mouth. <laughs> but what I'm saying is I wish that I could be any other way. I just know this is the way God made me. But I love this. But one of the things I love about the Old Testament is I love the gore. 
I do not like horror movies. I've never been to see one. I do not like any of those things. But there's something about when I see a picture of something that's pretty gross and kind of makes you go, ooh, gross. In the Bible, I kind of like it. And so I love this part of the story. Moving on to 2 Kings chapter 9. Um, by the way, this does not have any real spiritual application, this first verse. But I love it. Are there any guys in the room that you would agree with me that you just don't understand women? Any, anybody? Okay. That one guy. Okay. Okay. You're, you're sitting next to a woman there. Is she okay with that? That you, that you don't understand her? Never mind. Okay. Here's, here's one of the reasons I don't get it. Okay. Here's what it says. In verse 30, it says this. Then Jehu went to Jezreel. When Jezebel heard about it, she painted her eyes and arranged her hair and looked at the window. Now, you got to understand, Jezebel knows she's about to die. She knows that Jehu's ticked, that, that Jehu's on a God mission to come and take care of her. She knows she, has, she doesn't have long to live. And what does she choose to do in those moments? She puts on makeup. And she arranges her. I find that very weird. And I like the language here because it doesn't say she put on a little bit. It says she paints her eyes. And she arran- here's the moral to the story. Ladies, if you wear makeup, you will die. It's what the Bible says. It's what it's actually, even if you don't wear makeup, you will die. Let's go on. As Jehu entered the gate, she asked, have you come in peace, Zimri, you murderer of your master? I like this too. She's bipolar. Have you come in peace, you murderer? I mean, she's like, I think I talked sweet to somebody who wanted to kill me. He looked up at the window and he called it. He doesn't even answer her. He says, who is on my side? Who? Two or three of the eunuchs looked down at him. Throw her down, Jehu said. So they threw her down. Some of her blood splattered on the wall and the horses as they trampled her feet under, or trampled her underfoot. Jehu went in and he ate and he drank. Take care of that cursed woman, he said, and bury her for she was the king's daughter. But when they went out to bury her, they found nothing except her skull, her feet, and her hands. They went back and told Jehu, who said, This is the word of the Lord that he spoke through the servant Elijah the Tishbite. On the plot of ground at Jezreel, dogs will devour Jezebel's flesh. Jezebel's body will be like refuse on the ground in the plot at Jezreel, and no one will be able to say, That was Jezebel. Here's the story. Oh, please catch this. Jehu drives into the town. She says, have you come in peace, you murder? He's like, you're not even worth. Let me just tell you, it's not worth arguing. When God speaks to your heart about sin, when he speaks to your heart about compromise, don't argue. Don't, don't, don't justify it. Don't rationalize it. But I really like it. I want to hold on to it. When God speaks to your life about an idol in your life, do the right thing and make war against that thing. Don't let it sit there. Don't give it a little place in the corner and say, well, we'll see where it goes. When God speaks to your heart about one of those things, take care of it. Jehu says, have you come in peace? He like ignores her and he looks up into the balcony and he says, is anybody on my side? Who's with me? And two eunuchs who served the queen looked down, made eye contact. And he says, throw her down. And they went over to her and they tossed her over. She's beating against the wall as she's falling down because blood splatters on the wall before it gets to the horses. They trample her underground and then she's dead and, and all that. Please hear this point. There are times in our life when God calls us to make war. 
You might be against war. I, I, you know, in this world, let's, let's just don't argue with me about that right now, okay? Here's what I want you to know. When God speaks to your heart, it's time that we take care of it. If you have a bad attitude and you know it and God's spoken to your heart about it, it's time that you do whatever is necessary to get rid of it. If it's pride, you begin to serve someone. If there's a sin in your life, an addiction, a habit, the first thing that you do is you confess it to the Lord and you say, God, give me strength. And then you go and you choose somebody that you trust. You pull them up close and you say, I need you to help me because I'm struggling with something. I don't know how to overcome it. And the Bible says that if I confess my sins to you, that you can pray for me and it will be broken. And I'm going to take a dramatic step because it would be better if I could hide it. I would feel better about myself if you never knew. But I'm not willing to hide something and let it control me when I know that I can be free with your help and with the Lord's help. See, if you want to be God's man or, God's man or woman, there's two things that I really believe that God's speaking to us tonight, and that is you've got to let your private time build you and shape you, sculpt you and mold you. You've got to let that time when you sit down with him just pour things over you so that his word gets in your heart and faith rises up and you begin to get a clear picture of who God made you to be. So you're not willing to back down when God gives you an opportunity, but you're ready for the fight and you're ready to do whatever's necessary so that when you step out, you'll be dripping with the good things of God. And I want you to know there's no other way. You can't pay enough money. You can't go to enough church services to get what you can get in spending time alone with God. If you want to be God's man or woman, you got to do this. But there's a second thing you got to do too, is when God speaks to your heart, you got to be willing to make war against those things that are trying to destroy you. It's time that we stop making peace with the things that will hurt our spiritual life and steal our sense of urgency. And I think some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. I don't know what your issues are. I don't know what God's been speaking about, but God continually speaks to us. There's not a person in this room that's perfect. God speaks to my heart, and he says, hey, let's talk about attitudes. Let me tell you, when I was younger in my, in my walk with God, you want to know what he, what, what he spoke to me about? He spoke to me about actions, the things I was doing that were wrong. As I matured in my faith, God began to help me overcome some of those actions, and then he began to speak to me about attitudes. Let me tell you, if you're sitting in this church and you've been here for a long time, you've been in a church for a long time, you've been a Christian a long time, you might have all the actions taken care of, and God might want to speak to you about your attitudes. And if you're a wise person, your prayer becomes Psalm 139, 23, and 24. God, search my heart and show me if there's any wicked way in me. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. I would love to stand here and just cheer you on and say, hey, go take them. I want you to know God is saying that to you. Go take them. But before we can go take them, we have to let God take us. And the question is, are we willing to do that? Are we willing to pay the price? Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I thank you, God, for your word and God, these pictures that inspire us in Luke 12. God, that says there are no secrets. God, I thank you that it's true. God, I thank you that you want us, God, to draw away with you. God, to get away from all the hustle and bustle. God, to get away from the craziness, to get away from the activity. God, so that we can get alone with you and you can begin to show us who, we're, who we were created to be, what you've put inside of us. God, I thank you. God, that there's not a person in this room, God, that you've not created to use to impact the world. But God, you want us dripping with the right things. God, may we say yes to you. 
God, when you approach us and you say, will you get away from your companions? May we say, yes, God, please. I want to know you. I want to know your heart. You know, if, if you're in the room, I just want you to bow your heads and I want you to ask yourself a question right now. It's one thing to hear something that God's trying to speak to us. It's another thing to allow him to speak it so clearly where we actually have to interact with him about it. So right now in your heart, I want you to ask the question, are you willing to get away from your companions? Are you willing to set aside some time, some solitude time, just you and God, where he can begin to pour things over you? And inspire things inside of you. Are you willing to do that? I know that we want the end result. We want to be dripping with his goodness. And his anointing and his power. But it starts there. I want you in your heart to begin to dialogue with God. And just want you to say to him. Just simply a yes or no. God I'm willing. Or God right now I don't think that I'm. I'm going to take the time to do that. Just say yes or no to him. And if you said yes. Very, very simply, I want you to begin to process what that looks like, when that's going to be, where that's going to be. Will you let him build you in private? If you're like me, you've been told your entire life you have to do devotions. That's a rule. That's what you're supposed to do, and that never inspired me, but when I understood, when I began to understand that when I got away with God, he began to shape me and turn me into a new person. The person I've always wanted to be. It was worth it. So the question is, are you willing? Second question I want to ask you tonight. Is are there things in your life that God's trying to speak to you about? Are there things, areas where you've been compromising? Are there idols in your life? Is there complacency in your life? And do you speak, do you hear God speaking to you about those things? And if so, are you willing to make war? If you're like me, you've made peace with some of those things for a long time. I've done that for long stretches in my life. But there were also times when I felt God's spirit speaking to me so strongly that I could not make peace anymore. And I had to say, okay, from this moment on, God, I'm going to do everything necessary your heads bowed and your eyes closed just to respect the others around you. I just want to simply ask you this question. If you know that God's speaking about some specific areas in your life like that, would you just lift your hand so that we can pray together and believe that God's going to set you free from some of those things and give you the strength to walk from those? Thank you very much for those of you that are responding. Anyone else? You can put your hands down. Thank you. Father, we come before you right now. God, as people that love you, but sometimes don't express it well. As people who know that you've created us to walk and talk with you and live according to your word and glorify you in the things that we say and do. And God, that's our desire. But just as Paul said, God, the things that we want to do aren't the things that we find ourselves doing. Lord, right now in this moment, God, I pray that you would give us the strength and the courage to make war against those things. God, I thank you that simply by acknowledging them, God, that you've forgiven. God, forgiveness is easy for you. You've released that already. There is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. But God, I pray that it wouldn't just be about no condemnation. Tonight it would be about victory. God, help us to walk free.
take whatever steps are necessary to become the people that you've called us to be. And God, I thank you that we will do great things in public for you. We will bring glory to your name because, God, we have let you build us in private. We're becoming the people that you want us to be where nobody else can see us so that, God, when you give us opportunity, God, people recognize your hand in our life, your love in our eyes, your mercy on our lips. Be glorified, O oh God, in us and through us. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.